0: You never know where a diversity of business experiences can lead you, but the lessons you learn along the way are sure to change your perspective and shape your leadership journey. In today's episode, my guest, Karen Roberson, shares her experiences working for her family's grocery store as a child, her time in sales, and her journey to leadership, emphasizing the importance of treating people with respect and dignity along the way. We chat about how understanding your purpose and mission can set you up for success professionally as long as you stay true to those values. I'm your host, Jordan Carmack, a leadership and communications speaker and facilitator in London, Kentucky, and you're listening to Women of the Bluegrass, a leadership development podcast for and about women leading the way in Kentucky industry. As a native of Kiwi, Kentucky, my guest today's passion for people was instilled at a young age by her schoolteacher mother and entrepreneurial father. Karen Roberson has experience in various businesses, including managing the family business and working in Mary Kay, Avon, and Home Decor and Gifts. But she found her true calling and financial services, where she rose from agent to regional vice president of Transamerica. Her mission to leave people better than she found them has guided every step of her successful career. I can't wait to share this with you today. I am so excited to welcome Karen Roberson to this show today. We were connected through a couple of different friends of mine. And listen, both of them spoke so highly of you, Karen.
1: I'm really glad to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And it's nice to know someone speaking good things, Jordan. (laughs) Oh, it
0: always is, right? Um, So I wanted to share more with the listeners about your leadership journey and some of the things that you're doing. But we'll begin by talking a little bit more about your story and how did you get where you are. Now, I don't always start at the beginning of a person's life. Sometimes we start later on, but there was something in your bio that sparked my curiosity that I was like, that is really special. Now, your family had a grocery store and you started working in it at eight years old. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: I probably was even a little bit before eight, but I started running cash register at age eight. And uh, I think, you know, one of the things that my dad taught me through that entire experience was the value of the customer and how always making sure that people felt welcome and that they felt important when they came in and that, you know, you gave them everything you had even if they were not nice, <laughs> you know, that you <laughs> gave them your absolute best. It, it really did shape the way that I treated people and my response to people and also understanding the value of every single person, even though they may look different or sound different, they may come from a different walk of life. Uh, they're still very important. So it was, it was a cool experience and I, mm-hmm. I continued all through high school to, to be part of that business. So, mm-hmm
0: now, the role of a family business can be um, a an exciting one for families, but also sometimes a stressful one when you're in entrepreneurial activities. Um, what do you remember about the dynamics of your family during those seasons?
1: It's funny you should ask that. Um, I was an only child, so it seemed like I always, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, played with adults. In other words, you know, my dad would get together with his buddies and. They play bluegrass music, but they also um, love to play Rook, the card game. And so I would be entertained. You know, if some if they were missing one out of the foursome, I would get to play. And so it really escalated my growth, I guess, emotionally, um, because I was constantly interacting with adults, even from a young age. Um, One funny story that I do remember, I got really mad at my dad over something. I don't remember now what it was, but it was about the business. And so I wrote him a letter of resignation. (laughs) And he carried this this in his wallet for years. And Anytime we would start bantering about something, he would pull the letter out, you know, and if I was going to resign again. <laughs> but I really didn't resign. I just threatened to. So it was, it was funny. And I was so very, very close to my dad and my mom as well. But uh, it, it was a great dynamic growing up in that environment.
0: Oh, well, that's really encouraging. Um, my husband and I are both entrepreneurs and we have a two-year-old and she is our only and our precious. And sometimes I wonder, because we do a lot of the same things with her, is she spends a lot of time with grownups and a lot of time, you know, we'll take her down to do business with us and all of these things. And so I always wonder what she's going to look back on and remember from this <laughs> season. So um, I guess it is encouraging to me to know that she'll know to speak up for herself. Um, in, yeah. in this context. Um, now, this gave you a bit of an entrepreneurial
1: zeal, didn't it? It absolutely did, for sure. Um, I will say my mom and dad did encounter a few hurdles in life, you know, that I guess kind of pushed me away from being a risk taker in owning my own business. I've done hmm. a lot of things that reflect entrepreneurship, um, and I've always taken ownership of anything I do. But I've never um, had a storefront, you know, that I actually owned and, and did that on my own. Um, and I, I'm not really sure why I didn't do that, because everything I've ever done, I've, I've always done exceptionally well for my employer, you know. But, um, but I have always had the mindset of owning whatever I do. So, mm-hmm. and I do think that that really comes from those roots.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so you expressed those by working for several different companies after college and had some experience in media and worked for Avon, Mary Kay, Home Interiors. Tell me a little bit more about um, some of the commonalities in working for those
1: organizations.
0: What did you enjoy think- about working for those
1: I think one of the biggest common threads through all my life, and I've done a lot of different things, but I've I've always had this desire to leave people better than I found them. And so no matter where I've been, um, to be able to impact, I mean, that's always been a key driver for me. I think another common thread through most of my experiences is I've had the impact to bring other people alongside of me and to watch them grow and develop and I've always had a heart for the underdog. Anyone that didn't see the best in themselves, I've always felt like if I could show them what I could see, maybe they could aspire to higher things. And so that's always been a thread, um, especially through, you know, the direct sales and things of that nature. And, you know, I've been in sales my whole life doing a lot of different things, but I've never really looked at it as sales because I've always tried to find a way to allow people to get what they want. And when you have that heart and it's never been about me, I've never sit and figured up, oh, I'm going to get this if I do this. I've never worried about that. I've always been more concerned with the person that I'm working with or the leader that I'm developing. I've always, I think Mary Crowley, who developed Home and Tears and Gifts, really sowed that seed in me. If you help enough people get what they want, you don't ever have to worry about what you want because it just automatically follows. Wow. Wow.
0: So what skills did you develop? You mentioned that a lot of them are sales oriented. Um, What skills were you developing in that season that support you in your work now?
1: Probably the top one is listening. Um, Mm -hmm. I think so many people don't really listen and uh, Mary Crowley's daughter or her granddaughter actually uh, grew up and, and took over that business after she had passed on and She had a special needs child and she told a story. His name was Chance. And she told a real funny story about how she always listened to Chance because it was hard for him to articulate and to express himself. And so she said, I had to listen closely to understand what he was saying. And one day she and her husband kind of got in a battle of words and he looked there and he said, I don't know why you don't listen to me the way you listen to Chance. And. I've always kind of carried that story with me because, you know, so many times we seek to be understood instead of seeking to understand others. And most of the time, if we try really hard to understand them, then we don't have to worry about being understood. I mean, it's a magnet. It draws people in. People are hungry for someone to listen. Mm,
0: That's so true. So as part of, our exploration of authentic leadership on this podcast, I usually ask about critical life events that impact the way we view ourselves, the work that we do, um, our leadership styles, and our approaches. One of the things that you've talked about publicly is your dad's illness.
1: Can you share a little bit more about what happened? Sure. So my dad was always the center of my life, just like most little girls, you know, they, they really believe so strongly in their dad. And, um, you know, I grew up working side by side with him and there was good and bad in that. Um, because, you know, as a child, you don't see faults in your parents, but then as you grow up, you know, and you start to look at them through different eyes, especially a teenager, you don't see anything but faults sometimes, but as you grow into adulthood, um, you see a more well-rounded person. And so I saw that in my dad. And unfortunately, at 57, um, he, he got sick over uh, the weekend of Father's Day. And when he went to the doctor, we found out that he had a very large tumor. They didn't know if it was uh, liver or pancreas um, cancer because it was so large and it was attached to both. But long story short, he lived 31 days and that was it. And, you know, I I never grew up thinking I would end up in financial services. I'm not so sure that very many people do. It's kind of this path in life that leads you there. But I'd already found myself working in this industry. But I think the thing that his death did was spark an interest in me to help people be prepared. Because most of the time, if someone really loves their family, I mean, they want to know that. No matter what, their family's going to be okay, even if they're not there to help them through that season of life. And, you know, I had been in financial services, but until until death touched me in that way, um, I just didn't have the capacity to understand what I did every day. And, you know, through the loss of my mother, she was actually the first person that I had ever written a policy on that passed away and the death claim was paid. And so those two events just really created an urgency in me, first of all, to ask hard questions when I talk to people. You know, what's going to happen if if you don't come home? What's going to happen to your family? What's going to happen to all the hopes and dreams you've had, all the things that you've worked so hard to achieve? And I think it gives me the ability to be an advocate for those people that don't speak, I mean, your two-year-old child, she doesn't convey to you, you know, mommy, I need you to be there to take care of me. I need you to be there to prepare and, and to make sure that I'm going to be able to stay in our home and that I'm going to be able to stay in my school. She can't say those things to you, but me being an advocate, I can help you to see her point. Whew. Yeah,
0: no, it makes, it makes perfect it makes perfect sense. Um now you're a mom. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about Joshua for just a second? Oh.
1: Absolutely. Joshua's one of the biggest highlights of my life, absolutely. Um to be honest with you, you know, I I knew from the time I was a kid, I don't know, there was always this thing about adoption inside of me. And um I think adoption is such a perfect picture of our relationship with God because I don't think that you really get it until you're a parent. You don't understand unconditional love until you're a parent. And I've heard people say, I don't know how I could ever love a child that's not mine. Well, I totally disagree with that. Um, <laughs> you know, some family you choose, some family you don't choose. They just automatically become yours. But, you know, uh, when when we traveled to Ukraine to get Joshua, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I had a a dream. I saw him before I ever went. I knew what he was going to look like. Um, You know, I prayed for God to hold him in his hand until I could get there. And so that he would feel the heartbeat of God and he would know that he was safe and he was loved. Um, Ukraine is, is such an impoverished country. And I mean, it, it hurts my heart to see all the things that are happening there now, that there's a, a huge amount of children that are abandoned most of them at birth, just because parents don't feel they have the assets to be able to care for them. And, um, Joshua's journey, um, has just been an incredible aspiration to me to see who he is, the things that he's accomplished, um, his character, his intellect. I mean, he is so extremely intelligent and, you know, I didn't have one single thing to do with any of that. Uh, That's that's just all God gifted, you know, into his life. And, uh, it's been such a tremendous blessing for me to be his mom. You know, I've, I've had people say to me, I just think that's the greatest thing that you would go there and do that. I, I didn't do anything for vain glory. I mean, it was such a privilege to be able to have him as my child. He is an incredible individual and, uh, God just blows my socks off every time that I see the things that he accomplishes.
0: I love it. I love it. So these two major, these two major things, this, the adoption of your son, a joyous occasion and a transformative experience as a parent, but then also the loss of your parents. Um, How did those things
1: influence your leadership approach? (laughs) It's funny. You should ask that. Um, Before Joshua, and I was in leadership before him um, that always kind of filled that spot in my life because I was kind of like mama Karen, you know, <laughs> I pulled all these people in and I was like a mother hen, you know, I took care of everybody. And uh, I still do that to some degree, but I've developed a little bit past that. I think at this point, um, I just have a real desire and the only way I know how to express it. And I really feel that God gave me this is conduit Um I was asked to speak at my church one Sunday about giving, and um, I-, I went to Lowe's and got a piece of conduit because I feel so much that that's what God's called me to. And, you know, conduit is in a wall, and it's protected. It's behind the wall. It's not seen. It's not out front, but it carries power, and you're not the end of that power. The whole, the whole vision for that is to be a pass-through. And I used to have a pastor that would say to me, God will give it to you if he can get it through you. And I think that giving is such an important lesson for people to learn. You know, we're not to be the end of ourselves. It's not all about our happiness and our joy. All of that comes when we pass it on and when we can give other people happiness and joy. That's what really That's what gives life meaning. I mean, that's what that's what being a leader is all about, is to raise up other people that will carry a torch so that there's a legacy, so that, you know, so that things continue and that, you know, there's there's a path. There's a you know, there's there's a little footprint that you leave. And uh, I think that, you know, I've always said I just want to know that things are better because I came this way. And I mean, I'm a, I've always been a very passionate person and um, I've always felt like that um, I I do, I am a people pleaser and that's not all good. I'm not saying that's good because I think it's most important to be a God pleaser, but at the (laughs) same time, I've learned that maybe it's not as important for people to like me as it is for them to respect me, because if they respect what I can do for them, I think I have more impact even than if Mm -hmm. they like me.
0: So. well and as as a conduit as a steward of these things there is a responsibility that comes with that and sometimes people don't always like those things very much even if they are are the necessity um so now I, this is the perfect segue as regional vice president at, at Transamerica Agency Network, you have the opportunity to lead, to cast vision, to listen and support so many professionals across multiple States now. So of all of the things that we've talked about, is there a one specific key to your professional success? Or maybe tell me more about just what that's like to lead at that level.
1: It's kind of scary. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it it is. Um, I think the biggest thing, you know, I remember when I got into this business, um, I I moved into leadership pretty quickly. And uh, I'll never forget my mentor. Um, He came in right after I had moved into my very first leadership position. I was in my office and I was like, would you show me how to get my files set up and all this? Well, he just died laughing. And he said, I'm not worried about files go to the field and impact people. And wow, and that's really what it's all about. Um, it's helping somebody see what they're capable of, um, helping draw out of them, you know, what's your dream? I mean, what is it that you're passionate about? What is it that you really, really, really want to do? And then set a plan, set a course to get there. Because it's not just going to happen. You can't go to the bus station and say, I want to go somewhere. And they say, where? And you say, I don't know. You've got to have a destination in mind. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people will navigate life um, without a destination. They don't have an end result. They don't have a goal of, you know, this is what it's going to look like in five years or 10 years or at the end. You know, um, I think that God gives us breath. He gives us his spirit because he has a purpose and I've always had this desire in me. I want to know what that purpose is. I want to know what I'm supposed to accomplish. And, um, uh, you know, in the position I'm in right now, um, I, I really feel like, you know, the prayer of Jabez talks about the stakes moving out on the tent. And I really feel that leadership is God given and it is a huge responsibility. Um, you know, I screw up just like everybody else. I try to own my mistakes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's been times that I've had to go to people that I work for and say to them, I'm so sorry, you know, I missed it. Uh, This was not the right mark and I didn't go the right direction. And I think that takes guts, but I also think that it's so necessary Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not authentic in the realm of people being able to relate to you, mm-hmm. if you're not real, then mm-hmm. people won't follow. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, so and trans- a big part of that kind of transparency is owning up to your mistakes, which is a tough thing to do. But I think when we can model that for others, it makes for an organization that's able to move past challenges more quickly, um, and build more trust organizationally. Um,
1: sure. When it's a safe space to do those things. Well, and you said it all when you said safe space, because when people feel that they're an the environment that even if I mess up, I can own it and we can move forward, mm-hmm. then that's a catalyst for growth. Because Uh-oh, you're better
0: off than them hiding it.
1: Sure, right. that's where Absolutely. you get into
0: some deceptive practices, and you get into when people feel like they have to protect themselves by hiding their mistakes, that has long term consequences for an organization if that's the environment. Oh, nobody can make a mistake, so we better hide it. We better cross that out cl- close that up um and so there really are positive organizational outcomes that can be found when you can build a trusting organization where people know that, hey, we really are working together. Um, I love, love, love what you said that your mentor told you, though. I'm not worried about the files. Get out into the field. Because that seems like it's key when you are transitioning into your first leadership position, is you might be a great tactical person, you might be really good at the tasks of doing the job. But whenever you're in leadership for the first time, suddenly you are less concerned with the day-to-day tasks of the work and more concerned with what's going on with the people and what their needs are. Um, And so that seems like a really important distinction that he communicated to you very early on. Is that something you share with the leaders that you impact?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think it's really important as a leader that you have your finger on the pulse of your people. Um, I've always, that goes along with listening, but it's, it's more than just hearing what they say. It's being able to read what's going on in their life. Mm. If they're troubled, if they're, you know, if they're excited what you know, what's, what's happening. Um, I think that's probably one of my biggest challenges in my current role because there's so many people and it's hard to keep a finger on the pulse. And since we've moved so much into the digital virtual world, that makes it a little bit harder because when you're not, you know, when you're not with someone, you can't give them a hug. You can't, you know, you can't always feel the vibes that you feel when you're in person. Um, So it really takes a lot of effort. You have to be very intentional to make those things happen. And, um, you know, I'm sure I fail daily at doing those things, but that's really at the center of my heart. I mean, I want to I want to be there for people more than anything else. I want them to know that, you know. I'm here for them. I work for them. They don't work for me. I hate being called the boss. I just, I don't like that term. <laughs> um, I've got I've got one lady in Texas that calls me the big boss all the time. She's so funny. And I'm like, would you please stop calling me the big boss? I'm not the big <laughs> boss. Oh, but, um, yeah. you know, I, I think it's important that the team realizes it is the team. It's not mm-hmm. me. It's not you. It's the team.
0: And if anything, you're their biggest advocate for their success, both up and down at the, end of the, at the end of the day. Um, so we have a lot of early career professionals that listen to this podcast. Um, and I like to think that we are, while we are geared for women in particular, it's also for emerging leaders as a whole, people who are in... Um, their first, uh, maybe first or second major career um, profession. So they're stepping into maybe their first leadership role, getting into management for the first time, but they're excited about these opportunities. I'm sure you encounter these kind of emerging leaders regularly. So if I were an emerging leader in Trans America, or in any of the other organizations that you've worked in because your career has been so diverse, what advice would you give that person?
1: Follow your heart, number one. Um, I think that there's a passion inside of you for something. You need to find it and you need to ignite it. You need to stir up the gifts that are within you. And when you do that, work isn't work anymore. Um, You get up every day loving what you do. You make an impact upon the world that no one else can make because you have special gifts and special talents that nobody else has that exact same structure. And you were placed here to really make a difference. So find out what that is Um, And and you should know, I mean, it's the things that you love, it's the things that excite you, the things that you love, and you're, you're so very passionate about it. And I've been so blessed to be able to always walk in that realm. I mean, you know, I've never worked at anything that seemed like work. I mean, because I could always find some bend in it that, you know, it was exciting and it was, it was fun. And, and when I really concentrated on that and on really helping other people to find those same pieces, you know, Mm -hmm. it, uh, it just changes everything.
0: It's that alignment between what you're passionate about and what you're good at. Yes. Um, And how you can make a difference. I think if you had to add your third circle in there, it's, you know, how can I, I really make a difference? That's the fulfillment piece. And then what am I passionate about? What do I love to do? And how do I love to spend my time? And then actually what what are my skills? What am I good at? (laughs) And then finding that sweet spot somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Um, Well, listen, this has been a wonderful conversation, Karen. Thank you so much for sharing your story, reminding us of the importance of listening um, and giving us so much wisdom um, for those taking that next step into leadership. Thank you for the work that you're doing and the passion that you have for your organization and for people. I'm just so glad to have you on the show.
1: Well, thank you, Jordan. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you for having me. And thanks to my friends uh, that that suggested. So I really, really appreciate it. You have a, a great uh, task in front of you, and I wish you the absolute best.
0: What's so clear to me after listening to Karen share her story is how clear her values were from early on in her career. She knew she loved to help people, and she figured out what she was good at, from listening to understanding and empathizing with others. This self-awareness is key to taking the first step in authentic leadership. For me, it's always been important to communicate authentically, clearly, empathetically, and transparently. I love teaching others to do the same, and then to lead from that place of authenticity. Now, what does this look like for you? You could try working on your professional mission statement or simply making a list of what your skills are and what you're passionate about. Don't try to do this in a single day. It may take a bit longer than that, but write out a few options. Share them with people who know you best. Try it out when you introduce yourself or when you decide what to post or what not to post on Facebook. Often our mission statements can serve as a lens through which we decide what we say and what we do. As always, thanks for listening to Women of the Bluegrass. I'm so grateful that you decided to spend a few minutes listening to the leadership wisdom of Kentucky women, and I know you learned something along the way. If you like what you've heard, hit that notification bell on Spotify, or follow me on Apple Podcasts to get notified anytime there's a new episode. I'd also appreciate a five-star rating, which helps us reach more listeners just like you. If you're looking for a transformative tool to help you identify those strengths and behaviors that make you invaluable in the workplace and these might be key to developing your mission statement too, I'd love to introduce you to Everything DISC, a leadership assessment with 40 plus years of research behind it. Unlike more complicated assessments, this one uses four simple style categories, D, I, S, and C. By identifying your strengths, growth areas, motivations, and more, you can use this assessment to help you take strides toward improving your leadership and emotional intelligence in your organization. Even better, you'll learn how to identify these same styles and others and how to tailor your communication patterns to work more effectively with the people in your environment. There's a link in the show notes where you can find out more, including a special discount for listeners to this episode. I'd love to set you up with an assessment and walk you through how you can start applying it today. That's all for me. Have a great week, sunshine. Now get out there and make the world a brighter place.